Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year to you. Um, my prayer is for you that this year would be a year that sees us drawing nearer to Jesus and also nearer to each other. Um, so may God bless you as you enter into this new year, this new season. Now this morning I had actually started preparing a New Year's message for today that would have probably come from the book of Judges, but I, I felt myself being led to not move on too quickly from where we are at. Um, and so this morning I'd like for us to look at an aspect again of the Christmas story that um, many times I think we pass over quite quickly. And there's a detail in it that I would like us to consider that I find um, tremendous encouragement in. And it's an aspect that reveals to us that we serve a God who is familiar with suffering, familiar with pain, and a God who loves us so much that he decided to step into that suffering and that pain. He decided to step into this broken world. A God who doesn't run from pain, but a God who moves towards pain. And when he does move towards pain, he brings peace, he brings comfort, and he brings hope and healing. So I want to read again the very familiar story from Luke chapter 2, and we'll probably read the first 18 verses there, as follows. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her newborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, 
and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, we all know that um, Bethlehem was the town where Jesus was born. I think even people who don't believe, people who are not Christians, know this. Now, Bethlehem was a very small agricultural town in that time. I think in our context here, in the Cape, it would be something possibly like Sirius. And so when we think about Sirius, <clears throat> we automatically tend to think fruit. In fact, Sirius is named after the Roman, the Roman goddess of fruitfulness. Another town could possibly be Citrusdal. And so when we, when we think about Citrusdal, we kind of automatically think oranges. Now, in biblical times, Bethlehem, the town, had a similar, a similar connotation attached to it. Now, while Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread, because wheat was also farmed there, Beit Lacham in Arabic means house of meat. And so Luke's original audience, um, who would have read this first, would have immediately picked up on the religious significance of the Bethlehem shepherds watching their flocks by night that we read about there in verse 8. They would have known that when Bethlehem was mentioned, they would make a connection to sacrificial lambs. Because Bethlehem was the place where the lambs used in ritual sacrifice in the temple were raised. So the hills around Bethlehem were home to um, hundreds of sheep and lambs that would be used in ritual worship in the temple in Jerusalem at that time. And so probably as a boy from Bethlehem, um, King David would likely have tended sheep that would also have been destined for the daily offerings or used in the sacrifices on the feast day, such as Passover, in the very hills that we read about here in Luke chapter 2. Scholars estimate that um, anywhere from 700 to 770 sacrificial lambs were needed each year, besides the hundreds more lambs needed for the feast of Passover, as well as for the other religious rituals. So a substantial number of animals would have been needed. And everyone in Israel recognized Bethlehem as being synonymous with sacrificial lambs, in the same way that we think about fruit when we think about Sirius. So scripture tells us that on the night of his birth, an angel appeared to the shepherds who were out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And this angel instructed them, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, in verse 8 and 12. And the shepherds immediately responded, 
Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which Yahweh has made known to us. We read there in verse 15. Now, what is quite interesting to think about is, since there were no directions provided in the, in, in the instruction from the angel, the question that has to be asked is, where would they have known to go? How would they have known exactly where this angel was sending them to? Now, the first thing to note is that these weren't just ordinary shepherds. These were what we could call priestly shepherds, whose duties had been designated often from their youth to keeping watch over the flocks, to giving special rabbinical care to these animals that were set aside for sacrifice in the temple. And so these priestly shepherds were educated. They were trained for this consecrated task in what an animal that was to be sacrificed had to be look like, had to look like. And, and it would have been their job to make sure that none of these animals were hurt, none of them were damaged or, or blemished. And so I think that we lose some of the significance of this if we sometimes think something like, oh, isn't it nice that God revealed his purpose to some lowly, uneducated shepherds out in the fields, because these men were not that. Now, when the shepherds were out in the surrounding fields, and one of these ewes, these female sheep, was ready to give birth, this sheep would be brought in from the fields into what was called the Tower of the Flock, or in Hebrew, the Migdal or Michdal Eder. Now, this tower of the flock was a kind of an, an agricultural watchtower. And so this ewe who was about to give birth would have been brought to this tower. And there in this tower, in this birthing room for sacrificial lambs, she would give birth. And once the lamb was born, these priestly shepherds would routinely place two of these lambs in the depression of a limestone rock, which is called a manger, or it may have been honed out. And when they placed these lambs in this manger, they would have wrapped these newborn lambs in swaddling rags or clothes, which would have prevented them from thrashing about and harming themselves to the point that they had calmed down so that they could be inspected for the quality of being without spot or without blemish. And these swaddling bands were strips of gauze-like cloth used to restrain a lamb that was being prepared for inspection before sacrifice to prevent thrashing that... Um, so that they wouldn't hurt themselves and, and in doing so blemish themselves and disqualify themselves um, from sacrifice. Now this would have been an important part of the process because when we consider what Jerusalem looks like 
and the geography of that region, we see that Jerusalem is very hilly and it's a very rocky region. Now for us, when we think about um, agricultural land or grazing fields, we think about flat open areas. But in this region of Jerusalem, being as rocky and hilly as it is, much of the farming was done on terraced land. So these hillsides would have been terraced so that agriculture could take place. And so an animal especially a young animal, could easily have hurt itself trying to find its feet in those first few moments of birth. And so when these shepherds um, were given the news from the angel, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger. These shepherds knew exactly where to go. Now you cannot explain the meaning or the direction of the sign that these shepherds would have been given or their response, their knowing of where to go, unless you have the right manger, the right shepherds, and the proper Jewish perspective. And so for these men hearing that Yeshua was born in Bethlehem would have automatically triggered for them the prophetic words of Micah. In Micah chapter 4 and verse 8, although it's obscure and often overlooked, Micah disclosed that the Messiah who embodied the hope of the kingdom of Israel was to be revealed from this tower of the flock, this Michtal Edir. This is what he says, in Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. And then later on in chapter 5 and verse 2, Micah also mentions Bethlehem. He says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now I'm also aware that over time, tradition would have romanticized for ourselves Jesus being born in the stable of an inn, possibly as a last resort. But um, scripture doesn't really give any notion that supports this assertion. Um, this would probably not have been so. As Mary in her pregnant state would have made those she came into contact with ritually unclean, according to Jewish law. And we read about this in Leviticus chapter 12, about what a pregnant mother would need to go through. And so it would have been in accordance with Jewish law that they wouldn't have found place at the inn, but possibly rather here at this Michdal Edir, this tower of the flock, 
this um, sacred birthing place that would no doubt have been kept ceremonially clean by these shepherds that, um, as John calls it in John chapter 1 and verse 9, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, would be born. So, so what is significant about this for us now? I think what encouragement we find from this is that Jesus comes into this world. He is prophesied about, he is pronounced, he is proclaimed as someone who would come and suffer. Someone who has come to sacrifice himself. And so when I consider the Christmas story from this perspective, seeing the Christ child as someone who came into this world, and at the genesis of his incarnation, at the beginning of his life, has a banner over him that speaks of suffering. But it's not only suffering, because coupled with this is hope. And that is of great encouragement to us. And so to me, as I think about Jesus now, and I reflect on the story of his birth, I see three things. I see that Jesus suffers for us. Jesus suffers with us, and Jesus invites us to suffer alongside him. But we must always remember there isn't only suffering to speak of in this Christmas story, and so there isn't only suffering for us to speak of in our story. A very important gift that Jesus brings is hope. There is suffering, but there is hope swaddled up. <laughs> there is hope wrapped up within the suffering as well. And so as we enter into a new season and we reflect on our journeys to this point, I think it's true to say that we have felt closest to Jesus when we have struggled through a difficult season. And we remember that he is with us because there is hope along with the suffering. Suffering doesn't stand by itself for us who have hope. And so as we go through this season and as we enter into a new year, I want to encourage you, continue to call out to Jesus, continue to cry out in to him. Continue to draw close to him in prayer, in the reading of scripture, in song, in fellowship, in daily life. And secondly, as I reflect back, I see that I have felt closest to others, to people, when we have suffered together. And I believe this is something that relates to the second part of Jesus' commandment to us about loving others. Something happens by the power of the Holy Spirit 
when we share our journeys with each other. And it is within this community that Jesus places us in that we find hope. And so continue to pursue community. Continue to be in community with one another during this season. In conclusion, you know, the beginning of a new year is usually a strategic time. A time where we are more willing to change our outlook and approach to life than possibly at any other time of the year. Now for us now, this year's start brings along with it a very challenging outlook that appears for us to have suffering on the horizon. And so as we engage in this year, let us, just like Jesus, not run away from pain, but let us incarnate ourselves in what Jesus is wanting to do in this new year. Let us be agents of hope as we enter into this new season in bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have brought us to this new season. We thank you that we can reflect on the example that you set for us. We thank you that you love us so much that you came to be with us. We thank you, Lord, that you suffered for us. Thank you that you are suffering with us. And thank you that you walk with us as you invite us to suffer alongside you. But most of all, at this time, Lord, we thank you for the hope that exists. We thank you that the gift of hope that you bring to us, even in this difficult time and as we enter into this new season, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.